Okay. The good news, Trump found the leaker. It's fast. So there's that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on 94.1 FM WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for what will be a continuing and thrilling adventure. Please keep your hands inside the cart during the uh, radio program. Who knows what may break between now and the end of this show. Glad to have you here. Uh, You probably, uh, well, it was the end of yesterday's show when the news broke from the Washington Post that you have no doubt heard about already, unless you're living in a cave. The Washington Post late on Monday published their blockbuster story reporting that President Trump had disclosed highly classified information to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Ambassador Sergei Kislak during their recent visit to the Oval Office last week. According to The Post, in his meeting with Lavrov, Trump seemed to be boasting about his inside knowledge of the looming threat of ISIS. Quote, I get great intel. I have people brief me on great intel every day, Trump said. According to an official with knowledge of the exchange, Trump went on to discuss aspects of the threat that the United States only learned through the espionage capabilities of a key partner, as Washington Post reported it at the time. He did not reveal the specific intelligence gathering method, but described how the Islamic State was pursuing elements of a specific plot and how much harm such an attack would cause under varying circumstances. Most alarmingly, officials said, Trump revealed the city in the Islamic State's territory where the U.S. intelligence partner detected the threat. The Washington Post noted that they are withholding most plot uh, details, including the name of the city, at the urging of officials who warned that revealing them would jeopardize important intelligence capabilities. The Post reports that according to U.S. intelligence officials, the disclosures jeopardized a critical source of intelligence on the Islamic State or ISIS or ISIL or Daesh, as you prefer, 
A U.S. official stated that, quote, this is code word information and added that Trump revealed more information to the Russian ambassador than we have shared with our own allies. Now, following the explosion of that Washington Post report late on Monday, Trump's national security adviser, H.R. McMaster, spoke to reporters in the Rose Garden outside the White House to sort of deny the report. At no time, at no time, were intelligence sources or methods discussed. And the president did not disclose any military operations that were not already publicly known. Two other senior officials who were present, including the Secretary of State, remember the meeting the same way and have said so. Their on-the-record accounts should outweigh those of anonymous sources. And I, I was in the room. It didn't happen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. It didn't happen, and he walked away. Now, of course, that was not a denial because, uh, in fact, McMaster had said already in the, he was quoted in the original Washington uh, Post report uh, with saying pretty much those exact same words. The Washington Post did not charge that uh, Trump had revealed sources or methods or even military operations. Uh, so he essentially denied what the Washington Post Washington Post hadn't reported. For his part this morning, Trump removed any question as to whether the story was false or not, as McMaster suggested there. Uh, he took to Twitter to say, quote, as president, I wanted to share with Russia at an openly scheduled White House meeting, which I have the absolute right to do, facts pertaining to terrorism and airline flight safety humanitarian reasons, plus I want Russia to greatly step up their fight against ISIS and terrorism. Following that tweet, McMaster uh, replaced Sean Spicer, at least for a moment, at today's White House press briefing, where he uh, again offered an even more full-throated defense of the president, though he offered a, a few interesting points, such as when this reporter asked whether Americans should be concerned about a whole bunch of upcoming meetings that the president currently has scheduled with other foreign leaders. President Trump is now going to be meeting face to face with literally dozens of foreign leaders. If there are sensitivities to his discretion in what sort of information to decide to declassify, um, how is that something that you are advising him ahead of this foreign trip? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are no sensitivities in terms of uh, me or anybody who's been with the president in many of these engagements. He shares information in a way that is wholly appropriate. And I should just make, I should just make maybe the this, this statement here that, that the president wasn't even aware you know, of where this information came from. He wasn't briefed on the source and method of the information either. So he wasn't even aware where the information came from. Should he have been? Uh, as if all of this, by the way, is not moving quickly enough uh, late today, the New York Times reports that the source of that intelligence in question is, in fact, Israel, at least if you believe the failing New York Times. Joining us now to try to make sense of all of this today, uh, even as it will change once again, no doubt, before this conversation is even over, uh, is Elizabeth Goitin. She is co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at NYU's Brennan Center for Justice. Prior to working at the Brennan Center, she served as counsel to U.S. Senator Russ Feingold of Wisconsin. Oh, we love him. Uh, where she focused on national security, government secrecy and privacy rights, and as a trial attorney in the civil division of the Department of Justice. Liza has also written for The New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, San Francisco Chronicle, Wall Street Journal, L.A. Times, USA Today, and everywhere else you can think of. Liza Goitin, welcome to the broadcast. 
Thanks very much for having me. Uh, really appreciate it. All right. Uh, I, listen, I, I'm i trying to make sense of all of this, what we know, what we don't know, what matters, what doesn't, what's legal, what's not. So I have a lot to ask you about. Uh, but uh, what do we know or what do, what can we actually infer at this point about the specifics of the classified info itself that was shared with Trump uh, in his Oval Office conversation with the uh, Russian foreign minister and ambassador. The specific, do, do we know the specific information that is so alarming at this point? No, we don't, and that is partly because uh, the outlets that have reported on this story have, have taken pains uh, to avoid disclosing the details of the intelligence that was provided. We know the general subject, is, and you were talking about that earlier, mm-hmm. Uh, we think we know at this point, or at least it's been reported, that the intelligence was provided by Israel. Uh, but in terms of the details, um, there is still a real effort to keep that on close hold. Um, and I think this is significant in part because um, I've heard some people saying that, that the president has the absolute right to declassify information. That did not happen here. The president did not declassify this information. It is not publicly available um, and that just goes to show uh, how very harmful disclosure of this information can be. Well, so it's not officially dis- uh, declassified for the public, but the president does have the 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 right, the legal authority uh, to not only uh, share any classified information. I mean, he could go out on a, a stump speech, I suppose, and give away any information he wants. It wouldn't be illegal, as I understand it, but I want you to confirm that. Uh, but in this case... Uh, he, he certainly has the right to share any of that information uh, with any uh, our allies or adversaries alike, does he not, with foreign officials? Well, actually, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, I think there's been a lot of focus on the executive order that sets forth the rules for classification, mm-hmm. uh, what can be classified, how it should be uh, handled, the limitations on disclosure, the procedures for declassification. Um, and all of that makes sense, that all of that happens through an executive order issued by the president. Um, and there is general consensus that the president can actually depart from the terms of that order, that he is not bound by the executive order on classification because that order is basically a, a delegation of his own constitutional authority to control national security information. It's an it's an order think, that he has written explaining how uh, information will be classified or, or declassified, correct? Well, Donald Trump didn't write this one. The, the existing executive order was written by President Obama. It is still in force mm-hmm. unless or until... Trump revokes it or replaces it, um, and you know. He, but President Obama himself would not be bound by his own; would not have been bound mm-hmm. by his own executive order. Uh, President Trump is not bound by by that executive order. Okay. Um, I think it's problematic that presidents are not bound by their own executive orders, uh, or I should say, it's problematic that they can secretly depart from the, those orders because then the law that's on the books says one thing. Uh, whereas what the president is entitled to do is, is something different. So I think, ideally, we would have a classification executive order that says what the president uh, can do, even if it's just the president is exempt from all of these rules. Um, but that said, the executive order is not the only law that's at play here. Congress has also stepped in, in on various occasions mm-hmm. to regulate the disclosure of national security information. And there are several statutes in which Congress has done that, um, the statute that seems most relevant here is the Espionage Act. Um, and this is the, the law that President Obama mm-hmm. 
infamously used to prosecute uh, national security whistleblowers mm-hmm. um, and others who leaked information to the media uh, rather than actual spies and traitors, which is whom the law was, was designed to, uh, to, to address. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this law on its face uh, prohibits the communication of information relating to the national defense, whether that information is classified or not, uh, to anyone not entitled to receive it if there is reason to believe it could be used uh, either to harm the U.S. or uh, to aid a foreign nation. And, and so on its face, yeah. that statute would certainly seem to apply. And there certainly is no carve-out for the President of the United States in the Espionage Act, I, I presume? Uh, no, there, isn't, there is no carve-out. Now, I'm certain, I mean, obviously no sitting president has ever been charged with espionage mm-hmm. uh, or, char- or charged with any other criminal offense. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's unlikely to ever come before a court. If it did come before a court, I assume the president's lawyers would argue that this statute cannot be constitutionally applied to the president. But I actually don't think that the legal answer to that question um, is a simple one, and I, I don't think there's any clear right on the president's part to ignore uh, statutes on the control of national security information. Uh, that's a very interesting question, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, w- w- what is the uh, the c- code word information, as Washington Post uh, r- uh, reported it on Monday? Uh, what what do they mean by that, and w- what sort of level of classification is that? Is that the the uppermost level of uh, of security classification? It is. Top secret information is the highest level of classification of the three levels that exist. There's secret, there's confidential, secret, and top secret. Mm-hmm. Within top secret, there's something called top secret uh, SCI. Mm-hmm. Information that's classified as top secret SCI is mm-hmm. available only to um, a subset of people who have top secret SCI clearance. Okay. So it's really, it is classified at the highest level. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is, in fact, the most sensitive information. Uh, there is a, an unfortunate tendency on the part of the federal government, and there has been for decades, to over-classify information, yes. uh, to classify it when, it when it doesn't need classification, and to classify it at a higher level than is warranted. Uh, but according to reports, if the reports about the sensitivity of this information are accurate, then it is, in fact, information of the utmost sensitivity. Our, our, our friend uh, Jason Leopold of, of Vice tweeted out provocatively uh, uh, last night and uh, Riley, he said, is this a good time to mention our long-time over-classification of government information? Uh, I don't know if it was such a good time last night, but you're right, it is a question to look at in the future. Nonetheless, uh, McMaster uh, not only came out, uh, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster came out after uh, this broke yesterday on Monday at the White House, uh, and then again today, specifically uh, at the White House briefing, to downplay the release of this particular information, said the information regarded a city that would be easily determined. He seemed to be suggesting it was no big deal that this information was shared. And before I ask you if you agree or not, let me just toss in that um, the people who were the sources here, presumably who were so concerned about what uh, Trump said, they seem to have shared that information with reporters at Washington Post, at BuzzFeed, New York Times, Reuters, etc. So, 
Um, you know, what what do we know for a fact as far as, you know, how sensitive this information actually was or wasn't when you've got even The Washington Post apparently was told about what this information was? It's an excellent question. I don't think we do know how sensitive the information was. I wouldn't necessarily read too much into the fact that sources disclose this information to the Post. Uh, on the one hand, they might have uh, felt that the damage had been done, essentially, that once Trump had disclosed this information to Russian officials, um, whatever, whatever negative consequences were going to flow from that were going to flow. Um, on, and they might also have trusted in the reporters that they were speaking with to conceal the information mm-hmm. um, that would reveal the, the most incriminating details. Uh, and there are still a lot of details that we don't know. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily... Uh, infer that the sources of this information didn't think it was so sensitive. In fact, they seem to have believed it was quite sensitive. Uh, in terms of whether that's true or not, mm. um, there's just absolutely no way to evaluate that from the outside. Yes, there is a, a chronic problem of overclassification within the federal government, but that does not mean that there's no such thing as a genuine national security secret that ought to be kept secret. And, you know, presidents in the past and high-ranking officials in the past um, have talked about classified information Mm -hmm. in public, and it tends to be the classified information um, that is widely known to Mm -hmm. the public. So, for example, the CIA's drone strike program, you know, President Obama was essentially bragging about um, the the CIA's uh, uh, targeted killing of Anwar al-Awlaki, even though that information was highly classified. There are, uh, you know, things like that that are clearly not that sensitive that are disclosed um, by high-ranking officials on a routine routine basis. The situation here was different because it was a private meeting with Russian officials, and this information is still considered sensitive enough that it is not being made public. The details are not being reported by journalists, um, and it was disclosed to uh, officials of a hostile foreign nation. <laughs> so that's pretty different from Obama making a speech on something we all know about. Uh, Liza Goitin, you, you uh, well, McMaster's had, um, uh, during this White House briefing uh, today, said that Trump did not even know the sources for this info. Um, sh- uh, I guess, well, should he have known uh, the source? Is it a problem that he didn't? Uh, or, or would him knowing that information have made a, a, any difference here? Uh, or perhaps should we consider it a good thing that Trump isn't being told uh, the specific sources and methods here? Uh, earlier in the year, as a matter of fact, Israeli media had been reporting I think it was Hararetz, um, said that uh, Israeli intelligence officials were concerned that the exposure of classified information to their American counterparts under a Trump administration could lead to their being leaked to Russia and onward to Iran. Uh, nonetheless, Israel has been quite supportive, at least outwardly, of the Trump administration, and they seem to still be supporting him uh, uh, thoroughly, according to New York Times report today, citing Israel as the source of this information. Um, but is it unusual or troubling or uh, anything else that the president himself is not being told the sources of this, uh, this type of information? I think if it's true, uh, it is certainly unusual. Uh, or in the ordinary course, a president would know the source of information like this. Uh, but this president has said that he doesn't want his intelligence briefings to be longer than one page, and he wants them in bullet points. 
Mm. Uh, so he has not left room for, for the intelligence community to provide him with the information that he needs. Mm-hmm. It's not clear that providing that information uh, would have made a difference. Uh, and in fact, as you point out, I, there's, I think there is probably some sense within the intelligence community that the less the president knows about the sources of intelligence, the better. But that is not how it's supposed to work, for sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's quite a remarkable state of affairs when U.S. intelligence officials uh, feel compelled to warn our allies that they can't trust the president of the United States. It is quite alarming. McMaster's, uh, nonetheless, has also argued that the information uh, was perfectly appropriate in that uh, both the U.S. and Russia are fighting a common enemy here, uh, presumably in this case ISIS, and the two countries need to be able to to share information about their common adversaries. Uh, What do you make of that argument from the National Security Advisor? Because he seems to be all in with Donald Trump here. Um, which I I think a lot of people are concerned about because they had looked at McMaster's as someone who could, uh, you know, sort of counter uh, many of Trump's flaws. But but he's all in. So, you know, that's the argument. Hey, they're both fighting ISIS. What's the problem here? I mean, are they? (laughs) I think I think it's a ridiculous oversimplification to say that we have the same interests as Russia in the fight against ISIS. I mean, I think any objective observer would say that the Russians' interest and the Americans' interest in the in the Syria situation um, are quite divergent. Um, They may overlap to some extent, but there there is certainly uh, enough of a difference here that that it and there there are enough areas in which our interests are actually in conflict inside Syria and outside of Syria, um, that the fact that there may be sort of one at least nominal common endeavor just certainly doesn't justify mm-hmm. disclosing this kind of intelligence. There was uh, Reuters reports that one source familiar with the, uh, with the matter told them that at least some of the intelligence that went into the uh, well, what they're calling, they've been citing this uh, the, uh, a concern about a report via bomb uh, bombs placed into laptops in some fashion, and that some of the intelligence that went into the planned laptop ban expansion at uh, at airports where uh, I guess foreign airports with, with for you on U.S. bound flights, according to Reuters, uh, some of that information came from a U.S. commando raid on an al-Qaeda camp in Yemen in which a U.S. operator, special operator, was killed. So uh, isn't, I, I presume that's the raid just after the inauguration, uh, many about which uh, Democratic critics, uh, well, critics, not just Democrats, but critics overall had said uh, nothing of vital importance was gained from that raid. So if the information came from that raid, and again, I guess you have to trust Reuters sources here. Uh, but doesn't that seem to also somewhat contradict the early claims uh, that 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 raid got no valuable information? Doesn't it actually support the administration's version that uh, much sensitive material was gained from that otherwise disastrous raid in which uh, Navy SEAL was killed? A whole bunch of civilians, including women and and uh, and children, were killed there. Does that change the way we look at that Yemen raid, Eliza? It doesn't change the way I look at it. I mean, the <laughs> the, the acquisition of of intelligence information is is not um, a legal uh, justification under international humanitarian law for the slaughter of civilians. And there mm-hmm. were, uh, I believe, thirteen children yeah. who were killed in that raid. Mm-hmm. 
And I think uh, an American uh, girl, too, as if that makes a difference. But if I recall uh, a, a relative, I think one of the daughters of Al-Awlaki in that raid. Um, uh, finally here, wrapping up, uh, Liza, uh, McMaster's himself, and, and this is what's been troubling me about this today. McMaster's famously wrote a book specifically uh, regarding the U.S. war in Vietnam. Uh, he's well known for this book, uh, essentially, as I understand it, arguing that top Military figures were essentially too eager to appease those in power uh, and and describing the need for uh, people in the military to stand up to them. Now, he's he, he was a general. He's no longer, I guess, uh, a part of the military as the national security advisor. But what can we glean glean from uh, the way that McMaster's uh, has served, served as sort of the point man here so far for the administration defending Trump on all of these points? Does that give you any more confident that he will actually serve as a check or balance for the president or that he's pretty much going to be, uh, you know, well, uh, the Jeff Sessions of the National Security Council? Well, I don't think his point in the book was that the military should serve as a check on the president. And I don't think anybody would, would think that the military should serve on the, as a check on the president or, or that the or that the National Security Advisor should serve as a check on, a, on the president. The idea is that there is supposed to be civilian control over the military. That was something that was very, very important to our founders. And the framers of the Constitution took pains to ensure that, that the military would be under civilian control. Mm -hmm. uh, the issue here is that President Trump has essentially let the Department of Defense off the leash and has said as much when it comes to how it conducts the operations of war. And that is almost certainly one of the reasons why we um, have been seeing uh, greater civilian casualties, for example, in some of the, the operations. Um, and so, uh, you know, McMaster's is probably uh, very supportive of the fact that President Trump is, is giving so much discretion to the military to prosecute the uh, war, uh, the various wars that America is engaged in overseas. Um, but I don't think our founders would be so happy to, to see that happening. And, and I think I sort of I may have uh, conflated these questions the way I asked you uh, going from the Yemen raid back to McMaster. I was sort of uh, thinking about the his defense, his full throated defense, his claims that there, you know, absolutely nothing was wrong. His claim that the story was false, his misleading claim that, uh, you know, no uh, sources or methods were revealed when, in fact, The Washington Post never claimed that uh, sources and methods were revealed directly by the president. Uh, I, I guess I'm 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 trying to ask, uh, you know, are, are you confident in McMaster in this role? Um, because he seems to be serving as pretty much an apologist for this president, period. That I, I hate to say it, but that's actually his job. I mean, he okay. he he works for the president. I mean, he he is certainly expected to give, or one would hope that he would give dispassionate advice to the president in his role as a national security advisor. Uh, but he is not Jim Comey. Uh, he is not uh, mm -hmm. in any way considered independent from the president in terms of what he puts out there publicly. Um, it does not surprise me in the least that he is towing the party line on all of this. Um, and, you know, to, to the extent people in the administration have not towed the party line, they tend to end up without a job. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, so the fact that he's still <laughs> the fact that he's still employed sort of tells you what you need to know. I mean, we heard from from 
Jim Comey that the president demanded loyalty of him. Well, if he demanded loyalty of Jim Comey, he demanded it of everyone else. And so we can expect to see that loyalty, I think. And um, although maybe not, although maybe not from the anonymous leakers. Uh, well, exactly right. They're the only ones yeah. who seem to be able to uh, to speak up without fear of of being fired because uh, Donald Trump can't find the leaker. Apparently, he's the leaker. Uh, yeah. I, actually, <laughs> I think I lied, uh, Liza. One more question for you, as uh, as the co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at uh, at uh, the Brennan Center. How worried are you about the president himself? Is the president himself a national security threat as you see it at this point? I think he is. I, I'm not sure. I wouldn't necessarily base that conclusion on this one incident mm-hmm. of his disclosure of classified information to Russian officials, although certainly that incident is, it gives great cause for concern. Uh, but it appears that he has no knowledge of uh, history, <laughs> international relations, protocol in dealing with foreign countries, um, and, and no desire to acquaint himself with those, no desire to learn. And so I think to have the head of the executive branch, the commander-in-chief, uh, the person who has de facto control, if not de jure control, of the national security, this country's national security apparatus, to be so ignorant of... Uh, national security, the issues that affect national security judgments, um, you know, definitely gives me a, a lot of, of pause when I, when I think about um, the security of this country. Elizabeth Goitine, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at NYU's Brennan Center for Justice. You can and should follow her on the Twitters at Liza Goitine. You can follow the Brennan Center uh, there as well. They are at Brennan Center on uh, Twitter and, of course, at BrennanCenter.org. I had hoped to talk to you uh, originally when I reached out uh, to talk to you about uh, uh, Julian Assange and what may become of him. That's an interesting case as well. We'll have to pick that up on another day. I know you wrote about that recently in a story that I will point folks towards at uh, JustSecurity.org. The headline, The Constitutional Rubicon of an Assange Prosecution. We'll hold that one for another day. That sounds tasty. Uh, Liza, really appreciate you joining us today here on the broadcast. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, we got to get to a break here. But remember when I said, I think, Desi Doyen, didn't I say during the introduction that the story could change by the time we finished the conversation? Yes, you did. I think the story has just changed. Oh, uh, give me a second to review my uh, iPhone alert here. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with what looks to be, yes, another blockbuster story in this never ending affair. Uh, also, a uh, Green News report is coming up later in the show, Des. Yay! <laughs> All of that and more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, 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 whoa,
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, well, uh, okay, we'll get to this uh, New York Times story that just broke uh, in a moment, but I'm also struck, it sort of ties together with what uh, Liza Goitin was saying about uh, the, the fact that perhaps Donald Trump, they, you know, we keep saying that he didn't break any laws, that the president can classify or unclassify anything as he sees fit. Right. Um, but she notes that, uh, well, you know, he could actually be charged with a crime under the Espionage Act of, I think it's 1907 or 1917 or something like that. That's the that's the act that has been, as she mentioned, used against whistleblowers in the Obama administration uh, or leakers, depending on how you look at it. Uh, I think uh, Chelsea Manning was charged, I believe, under the Espionage Act. And and perhaps, as I had originally wanted to talk to Liza about last week, uh, before the Comey firing happened and broke the news cycle again, um, uh, uh, that, that law, the Espionage Act, is cited as potentially being used to bring charges against Julian Assange which raises a whole bunch of uh, additional questions about charging journalists, um, which is what Assange uh, believes himself to be, uh, which is what, frankly, I believe them to be. But that's that's a whole that's a for another day. Um, the Assange matter. But if if Trump was to be charged under the Espionage Act, of course, as far fetched as that seems, there would have to be someone to charge him. So who Jeff Sessions is going to bring charges under yeah, the Espionage right. Act against one of the U.S. attorneys? Of course, Trump could just fire any of them before, you know, they actually charged him or after they charged him or whatever. Which brings us, I guess, to this breaking news that I mentioned just before the break. Yes, it is another bombshell. Um, I'm just reading it now, so I'm going to just share it with you straight off the, the page here from The New York Times. Michael Schmidt has this story. President Trump asked the FBI director, James Comey, to shut down the federal investigation into Mr. Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, in an Oval Office meeting in February, according to a memo Mr. Comey wrote shortly after the meeting. Quote, I hope you can let this go, the president told Mr. Comey, according to the memo. The existence of Mr. Trump's request is the clearest evidence that the president has tried to directly influence the Justice Department and FBI investigation into links between Mr. Trump's associates and Russia, reports The New York Times. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, Mr. Comey uh, wrote the memo detailing his conversation with the president immediately after the meeting, which took place the day after Flynn resigned, according to two people who read the memo. The memo was part of a paper trail that Comey had created documenting what he perceived as the president's improper efforts to influence a continuing investigation. An FBI agent's contemporaneous notes are widely held up in court as credible evidence of conversation. So these are notes that he took right after this meeting, at least according to uh, his associates, who have been cleared, uh, presumably by Comey himself, to go to the media and, and tell them about this, uh, about this note. Comey shared the existence of, a, of the memo with senior FBI officials and close associates, the New York Times has not viewed a copy of the memo, which is unclassified, but one of Comey's associates read parts of the uh, of the memo to a Times reporter. 
It says, I hope you guys can see your way. This is a quote now. Uh, according to the memo, quoting Donald Trump, he says, I hope you guys can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Trump told Comey that uh, Flynn had done nothing wrong, according to the memo. Comey did not say anything to Trump about curtailing the investigation, only replying, I agree he is a good guy. Uh, a good guy. That's the quote from Comey, according to Comey's own memo. In a statement, uh, the White House denied the version of events in this memo. I'll read their uh, statement here in a moment. But this would be uh, classic uh, obstruction of justice. Oh, yes. I, 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 I can't see how it wouldn't. People have already argued that uh, firing Comey is in and of itself obstruction of justice. And now you have contemporaneous documentation far before the firing saying, hey, can you let this investigation go? And again, no matter what you think of the investigation, uh, you know, whether there is anything worth investigating here or not. The fact of the matter is the president should not be uh, instructing the FBI on what they should or should not be investigating. Uh, obstruction of justice was the first uh, uh, the first charge in the impeachment, uh, first article in the impeachment proceedings that were brought against Richard Nixon, by the way. So the statement from the White House denying the version of events that is spelled out by Mr. Comey contemporaneously, according to this memo that comes from friends. The paper has not seen it. Uh, the statement from the White House says, while the president has repeatedly expressed his views, that General Flynn is a decent man who served and protected our country. The president has never asked Mr. Comey or anyone else to end any investigation, including any investigation involving General Flynn. According to the statement from the White House, the president has the utmost respect for our law enforcement agencies and all investigations. This is not a truthful or accurate portrayal of the conversation between the president and Mr. Comey. Now, based on what the response from the White House has been, it sounds like they are saying he never explicitly asked, please stop this investigation, and that's what they're going on. The Comey letter could still be true based on the words that the White House has chosen to use in their response. He didn't say, end the investigation. He, he said, said, I hope you can I see your way. way of letting this go, letting Flynn go. Again, at least according to Comey, right? And you got to uh, pick, I guess, who you want to believe here. But these are the uh, these are the accounts that we have, as reported just minutes ago from the New York Times. Michael Schmidt at the New York Times. Uh, it goes on to say Comey created similar memos, including some that are classified about every phone call and meeting he had with the president. The two people said Trump fired Comey last week. Trump administration. Uh, have uh, provided multiple conflicting accounts of the reasoning behind Comey's dismissal. Uh, they cite uh, Trump's comments in the uh, interview with NBC that uh, one of the reasons was because he believed, quote, this Russia thing was, quote, a made up story. So this, apparently this meeting was uh, February 14, and it took place just a day after Flynn was forced out of his job. After the paper notes, it was revealed that he had lied to Vice President Mike Pence about the nature of phone conversations that he had with the Russian ambassador. Um, and by the way, this has been taken for granted for a long time that once the White House find out, found out that he lied to the vice president, then they had to let him go. Well, no. 
uh, and the New York Times reports that story without any uh, qualifiers there. But whether we don't know that Flynn actually lied to the vice president, that's what they say. But um, they knew about uh, they knew uh, that Flynn had not told the truth, I guess, about his uh, conversations weeks earlier. Because Sally Yates had come to inform them. But also Vice President uh, Pence was in charge of the transition team and the vetting of all the people who were supposed to be personnel. So there's a reasonable expectation that he would be aware of this kind of information. Uh, Maybe. Maybe not. We don't Maybe. know. But I this, know. I, this, a reasonable this notion that uh, he had lied to Pence has been taken as for granted, you yeah, know, for as, granted as, as a done. fact. And I don't know that it actually is uh, New York Times. Um, they go on to say Comey had been in the Oval Office that day. This is February 14 with other senior security officials for terrorism for a terror terrorism threat briefing. When the meeting ended, Trump told those president uh, those present including Vice President Pence and Attorney Jeff Sessions, to leave the room except for Mr. Comey. Hmm. So he didn't want Pence or Sessions in the room for this conversation, according to the memo. Alone in the Oval Office, Trump began the discussion by condemning leaks to the news media, saying that Comey should consider putting reporters in prison for publishing classified information, according to one of uh, Comey's associates. Trump then turned the discussion to Flynn. After writing up a memo that outlined the meeting, Comey shared it at the time, apparently, with senior FBI officials. So not only did he write it contemporaneously, according to this report, but senior FBI officials knew about it contemporaneously. Comey and his aides perceived Trump's comments as an effort to influence the investigation, but they decided they would keep the conversation a secret, even from FBI agents working on the Russia investigation, so that details of the conversation would not affect the investigation, Hmm. would not prejudice those people looking into it, I guess. So it does sort of raise the stakes of whether or not the there are there's a taping system in the White House. Well, that's, Oval yes, that's what the Times then gets to. Oh, in really? The, yes, <laughs> in the end of this report, uh, almost there. Here, Comey was uh, among the uh, Comey was known among his closest advisors to document conversations that he believed would later be called into question, according to two former confidants who said Comey was uncomfortable at times with his relationship with Trump. Uh, and of course, uh, Comey's recollections uh, has has been bolstered in the past by FBI notes in uh, 2007. Uh, remember the infamous moment when he told Congress about the now famous showdown between him and White House officials, be, actually between him and uh, the then FBI director, Robert Mueller. He was uh, Comey at the time was the deputy attorney general. And um, so he and Mueller had this showdown, this very dramatic showdown with Bush administration officials concerning warrantless wiretapping in the hospital room of John Ashcroft, who was the attorney general at the time, who was on his deathbed. But not really dying. He, he was didn't just actually, recovered well, from no, surgery. There was some, no, there was some concern that he yes, was actually dying. Right. Then I, but um, he didn't. The, uh, the White House disputed Comey's account at the time. The Bush White House disputed Comey's account. Uh, but the FDI, FBI director at the time, Mueller, uh, said that he kept notes that backed up Mr. Comey's story. So uh, his notes have come to play before, have come in handy before. Yes, they <laughs> um, have. Trump uh, has disparaged the continuing FBI investigation as a hoax, has called for an investigation into his political rivals. His representatives have taken the unusual step 
of declaring no need for a special prosecutor to investigate the president's associates, despite the fact that uh, they are these associates are so closely tied to the president. That is unusual. The Oval Office meeting uh, occurred in this case uh, more than two weeks after Trump had summoned Comey to the White House for that lengthy one-on-one dinner in the residence that we right. talked about yesterday. The one in which he asked Comey for his loyalty, to pledge his personal loyalty. And which like. Comey reportedly declined, and right. which tells me that Comey probably has a memo following that dinner as well with the specifics on that. Um, this is where, right, he, he pledged, uh, he asked at least two times for a pledge of loyalty. Comey declined, according to uh, his associates. Uh, in a Twitter post on Friday, Trump said that James Comey, this was last week after the firing, uh, James Comey had better hope that there are no tapes of conversations before he starts leaking to the press. And after that meeting, Comey's associates Uh, who had not believed there was any way to corroborate Trump's uh, statements. But then once he suggested that uh, he was keeping tapes, perhaps, maybe, that has made them wonder whether there are tapes that back up Comey's account of that meeting on February 14. And who knows, maybe at that dinner as well. Yeah, maybe. And and because he can't help himself. Trump can't help himself. Why would he come out and say you better hope there are not tapes unless he was either a bluffing or b stupid enough to reveal the fact that there were tapes that uh, I mean, that's got to be where this goes at this point. The White House will not not just they are not uh, denying that there are tapes, that there's a taping system in the White House. They have not denied that at all. They won't talk about it. That's their strategy. I can't talk about that. We won't talk about that. That is not a denial. Uh, If there was no taping system in the White House, why wouldn't they just say there's no taping system in the White House? Right. Now, now the good news is, I guess, if there is any good news in any of this, is that it, it appears that Comey has been establishing a quite thorough paper trail all right. along all along the way since this uh, he's been dealing with this administration and with Trump. So so that hopefully will provide some eventual understanding about what actually happened. But I guess where does this go next? I mean, any kind of push against Trump and what the administration are doing right now, it seems like it would have to come from congressional Republicans. Republicans. Exactly. And they seem unlikely to be interested well, in doing it. You know anything. what? No, actually, there started to be some some cracks in that wall, at least after the news yesterday. I'm trying to keep it all straight. The news <laughs> uh, yesterday uh, concerning the uh, the alleged leaks uh, with the um, with the Russian ambassador and the uh, foreign minister. Uh, after that, uh, Senator Corker, for example, uh, who I, I think he was under consideration for. I don't know if it was attorney, uh, secretary of state. I think they were thinking of, of uh, Senator uh, Bob Corker, Bob of Tennessee. Corker, Tennessee, right. uh, for secretary of state. Um, he said uh, things are spiraling something. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, that but they need to are, get a handle on that themselves. they need to get a handle on this, that things are spiraling out of control. Well, they are spiraling even further out of control. Uh, if you uh, if you believe this uh, report from the failing New York Times, Michael Schmidt, uh, concerning the fact that uh, James Comey in a memo said he was asked by the president to let go of the investigation of Trump's own national security advisor at the time, Michael Flynn. 
curiouser and curiouser. Amazinger and amazinger. <laughs> I mean, it's just this never stops. Unbelievable. I can't see how this continues at this pace. I can't see how Republicans don't start coming out and saying, yes, we have a real problem here with this president. Um. Well, maybe they want those tax cuts so bad they'll be willing to put up with just about anything. They'll get them under Pence. They'll get them under Mike Pence, which is why, you know what? Uh, Don't give Pence a free pass here on any of this. This is why I keep pointing this out, whether it's uh, on his obstruction of uh, voter registration in Indiana last year, which we covered in detail a couple of shows ago. Or whether his claims that uh, he was lied to by Michael Flynn. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know until there's a real investigation, a real independent investigation of this entire mess. All we can do is keep uh, questioning uh, as the country continues to devolve. All right. Speaking of devolving, Green News Report comes up <laughs> next with Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the Bradcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the Bradcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the Bradcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Melting for Desi Doyen and her Green News Report momentarily. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. One of the uh, stories that I, I had hoped to uh, cover that we put off uh, given the breaking news about uh, the, the Comey memo reporting that Donald Trump asked him to drop the investigation against, uh, against Michael Flynn. One of the stories was... Uh, a vote vets, a group that uh, 500,000 uh, supporters, uh, veterans and their families and supporters and so forth came out with a statement after yesterday's uh, breaking news about uh, Trump giving away uh, 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 sensitive uh, classified information in the Oval Office. Um, they were calling. They said uh, their Here's their quote from uh, Will Fisher who we've had on the show, I believe, uh, the director of government relations at VoteVet, says there must be immediate congressional hearings to determine if Donald Trump divulged sensitive, uh, sensitive classified materials as reported to the Russians. If he did, impeachment proceedings must begin and they must begin without delay. Putting the national security of the U.S. at risk in that way is what impeachment and removal from office was created for if Republicans do not call for immediate hearings into this matter, we will know that they place their party over our country. That's the director of Vote Vets. Uh, they go on to say the Washington Post um, 
uh, is reporting uh, in its reporting noted that exposure of an intelligence stream that has provided critical insight into the Islamic State could hinder the United States and its allies' ability to detect future threats. And of course, this is coming from a group of folks uh, who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan and so forth. Um, so that should mean something. So it's not just an independent investigation by a special counsel. Uh, or prosecutor, but um, Congress could pick this up immediately. They could pick it up tonight as impeachment proceedings. And frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if Democrats uh, filed some articles of impeachment, whether they're taken up by the um, Republican-controlled U.S. House at this time or not. Um Okie dokie then. Well, you know, it's one of those days when uh, the, the best news comes from the Green News Report. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Shocked and disappointed. That's how Governor Cooper described federal hurricane funding. 99% of North Carolina's request for disaster relief denied. April 2017, the second hottest April ever recorded for the planet. U.S. Secretary of State Tillerson signs climate change declaration. Plus, U.S. military warns of national security impacts of climate change again. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. When Obama was, you know, channeling money and funds to green energy companies, Republicans were always saying, oh, he's picking winners. Yeah, at least he was picking winners from the future. <laughs> not picking winners from the 19th century. Yep, this is your Green News Report. It's, it's like saying we got to get those blockbuster video clerks back to work. Okay, Desi Doyen, half the state of North Carolina was underwater or affected in some way by Hurricane Matthew, and yet Congress and Donald Trump just won't give them any more than, what, one percent of what they requested in disaster relief? Yeah, that's right. President Donald Trump and Republicans in Congress have denied nearly all of North Carolina's request for disaster recovery funding in the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew back in October. Well, that'll teach him to elect a Democrat for governor. Hurricane Matthew killed an estimated 28 people and caused more than $5 billion in damages and losses across half of the state's counties. The state requested about $930 million in federal disaster recovery funds to repair critical infrastructure. But at a press conference promoting hurricane preparedness, North Carolina's Democratic Governor Roy Cooper said he's been informed they'll receive only about one percent of that request. I was shocked and disappointed to see the paltry amount of money that was appropriated out of a $930 million request that was conservative. Only $6.1 million was approved. Unbelievable. Governor Cooper has asked Trump to visit for himself to see the devastation. Meanwhile, it's official. April 2017 was the second hottest April ever recorded for the planet. See, it's getting cooler. That's according to NASA. This April ranks second only to last April. The last four hottest Aprils on record all occurred in the last four years. Global cooling. An unusually warm spring in the Arctic fueled this second hottest April record, which is also notable because it occurred in the absence of an El Nino event boosting global temperatures. 
At least one member of Trump's cabinet has acknowledged the reality of man-made climate change. Last week at the annual meeting of the Arctic Council, comprised of the seven nations with Arctic territory, U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson formally signed on to the Fairbanks Declaration, a document that, quote, reiterates the need for global action to reduce both long-lived greenhouse gases and short-lived climate pollutants. Tillerson said, however, the United States will not rush to make a decision about whether to remain in the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement. Take your time, Secretary Tillerson. Never thought I'd be happy that the former CEO of Exxon was our Secretary of State, but he seems to be the only one with any sanity in this administration when it comes to climate change right now. Well, also with some sanity, the U.S. military. The U.S. intelligence community has also acknowledged that climate change is a national security threat. In the annual Worldwide Threat Assessment Report delivered to the Senate last Thursday by Trump's Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, The report warns that climate change is raising the risk and likelihood of conflict around the world, with warming temperatures triggering extreme weather disasters that risk destabilizing volatile regions and raising the risk of potential conflicts over scarce resources like water. In Ohio, the company behind the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline has been fined more than $430,000 for air and water pollution violations by the state of Ohio. In just seven weeks of construction, Energy Transfer Partners' new Rover Pipeline has already caused 18 leaks and spill incidents, including an estimated 5 million gallon spill of drilling mud that smothered a pristine Ohio wetland. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has also ordered the company to not start any new construction in any new locations until an investigation of the incidents is completed. So once again, this is the company that runs the Dakota Access Pipeline, that controversial pipeline up in North Dakota approved by Donald Trump. 18 leaks. What could possibly go wrong in North Dakota? But some good news. Norway just booted up its latest offshore wind farm, a truly massive array of 150 wind turbines that will supply 1.5 million homes with clean electricity. Here in the U.S., Maryland State Public Utility Commission has approved two new proposed offshore wind farms to begin construction next year. The Maryland wind farms will be only the second and third offshore wind farms in the entire United States. But onshore wind farms are booming. The wind industry just had its strongest first quarter in eight years, according to a new report from the American Wind Energy Association. The wind energy sector in the U.S. is growing so quickly that, according to the report, a new wind turbine rises in America every two and a half hours. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your... Green News Report. There's some good news. <sighs> yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to our guest today, Liza Goitin of Brennan Center for Justice, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. It's greatly appreciated. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That's it for now. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>